Okay, there's a lot that we need to do tonight, and uh, I guarantee you I'm not going to get it all done. So uh, last week, we started our uh, journey into the book of Samuel, which is really one long story with the book of Kings. They're not really split up into first and second. Uh, That's just because of the length of the scrolls, uh, (laughs) and that's why they were divided into two books. But really, it's one big story, and it's the story of the kingdom of Israel. And uh, we talked about, really, the first three chapters of 1 Samuel last week, and we centered in on the call of Samuel in chapter 3. And so tonight, I wanna, I'm going to pick up the pace a little bit and just um, get us into more of the flow of the story, uh, particularly the actual first king of Israel. So tonight, we're going to talk about Israel's first king. Israel's first king. Uh, before that, I have a note, uh, an announcement um, that the hot dog extravaganza is happening this year on July 2nd. It's a Thursday. Um, so there's that. All the people rejoiced. Kent was very excited to send out that email. Um, and if you don't know what that is, someone can explain it to you afterwards. It's, it's, it's like an annual pilgrimage, uh, an annual rite of passage for our community. Uh, it's just a four, big 4th of July party where we eat hot dogs together. That's it. Um, so I'm actually going to start tonight in chapter 2 because uh, I, we should have read this last week. The chapter 2, anybody know what happens in chapter 2? Hannah sings a song. We talked a little bit about it last week. Hannah sings a song in response to her uh, being answered, her prayer uh, to the Lord for a child to give back to the Lord, being answered. And it's after she brings Samuel to to dedicate him to the service of the Lord at the tabernacle. uh, Chapter 2 begins with this song. And I want to suggest, and I want us to uh, keep in mind that this song really is is the grand theme of this book. Uh, This song contains all of the big themes, the running themes in this whole book, along with the key verse that I sent out at first uh, from from chapter 16, which happens right in the middle of the book. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That verse happens right in the middle of 1 Samuel. Right at the beginning of David's uh, anointing. All right, it, it marks the transition. It comes at the transition point between Saul, who failed in his uh, calling as king, his anointing as king, and David, who then picked up the pieces and was a man after God's own heart. Uh, but in chapter 2, let's read this song together. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Um, just before we keep going, I want you to notice that the theme of this song is, is you could state it in this, in this way, and this is from the book of James. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, 
but gives grace to the humble. And each line from here on out in the song is either talking about God giving grace to the humble in some way or God opposing the proud in some way. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. It also reminds you of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are the the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The barren has borne seven. But she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. The Lord brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Not by might shall a man prevail. Man sees not as God sees. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king. There wasn't a king in Israel yet. This is chapter 2. And exalt the horn of his anointed. So Hannah is prophetically announcing the coming of the, the, the kingdom, the anointed king of God. So God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Man looks on the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. This is the running theme in all of the little stories that happen in this whole book, okay? And so the outline of 1 Samuel, one way to break it down is this. Chapters 1 through 7, you see God humbling Eli and exalting Samuel. Right? Eli's, Eli's office and his, his time as priest is coming to an end. He's being cut off. And Samuel is being established as the prophet of God. Chapters 8 through 15, Samuel and Saul. Samuel's time as the the chief leader in Israel is coming to an end. And Samuel is not without his faults, right? Sadly, chapters 8 uh, through 15 also reveal some of the ways that that God is, is dealing with Samuel himself. Samuel's sons did not walk in the way of God. And so God still has some things to teach Samuel. Some ways to humble Samuel, and I'm going to talk about a few of those uh, tonight. So Samuel is on his way out. Saul is on his way in. And then chapters 16 through 31, Saul uh, is, is going down and David is rising. Okay, So we have these, this, this movements, these three movements in this book, and they all are shaped in this way. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. God brings down the strong, and lifts up the weak. And so uh, I want to briefly talk about uh, the the part that we didn't talk about last week, which is chapters 4 through 7, which is where the ark goes on a tour of uh, the land of the Philistines and just wreaks havoc on its own. Um, But this this story is is a great 
story that speaks to this theme, okay? Samuel is installed as a prophet at the end of chapter 3, uh, but then he, he disappears from the story for the next three chapters, 4, 5, and 6. Um, in chapter 4, the Israelites uh, draw up in battle against the Philistines, and it's at a place called Ebenezer, okay? And they're defeated at Ebenezer. And they cry out to God, and they don't know what to do, and they say, hey, bring... They say this, uh, let me pull it up here. Why has the Lord defeated us today from, from the, before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. Now, I don't think they understand that nowhere in history has an it saved the people of God. A he has saved the people of God, and his name is Yahweh, right? Let's see if the ark will come and save us, okay? It obviously does not. It fails them. And not only that, but the ark is captured and taken into Philistia, and um, the Philistines defeat them, they, so they lose again, but then they capture the ark of God, and then there's this great mourning. The glory has departed from Israel. Ichabod, right? And then Eli falls off his chair and dies when he hears about the ark. His two sons die in that battle too, and it's a really dark time. And this goes on for a few chapters, and finally, in chapter 7, Samuel comes back into the picture. In verse 3, it says, In Samuel, or verse 2, From that day the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time past, some twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Finally, Samuel re-enters the picture. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, and really this is Samuel's, I think, finest hour here at the end of chapter 7. In chapter 8, he begins sort of his downfall, or at least his, his exit from the scene. If you are returning to the Lord your God with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So they put away the idols and they served God only. And uh, verse 10, Samuel was offering up the burnt offering. The Philistines drew near to attack Israel, but the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. When the he, the him, the God of Israel moved, the Philistines were indeed defeated. And I like this part. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. Now this is where they had experienced the defeat. For he said, till now or to, to this point, the Lord has helped us. Or right here, the Lord has helped us. Now, what's significant about that? That's where it all went wrong, at Ebenezer. And there they are, full circle, standing then again at Ebenezer. And now, here at the place of our failure, the Lord has helped us. Right? This place is no longer known as the place where we failed. This place is now known as the place where God came and helped us. I think that's a really cool uh a really cool cycle in the story, right? Failure at Ebenezer, victory at Ebenezer, and the difference is it's God that wins the victory. 
So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. So chapter 7 ends on a high point for Samuel. Chapter 8 starts with some flaws with Samuel. All right. So really in chapter 7, Samuel, in the fullness of his calling, it really does bring salvation to Israel. But then here we go in chapter 8. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. The elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now Samuel doesn't really, he never really addresses this. Okay? Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. The thing that most displeased Samuel was when they said, we want a different leader. It wasn't that his sons couldn't lead, and it wasn't that, uh, he doesn't even say, um, hey, this is, they're, they're just doing this like the idolatrous nations around them. He says, I don't like the fact that you want a king. Perhaps he wanted, he was really invested in his sons. He wanted them to succeed. This is pleased, the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. In other words, not your sons. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Samuel, this isn't about you. Why are you so upset? Give the people what they want. I've been dealing with this, he says, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt. There's nothing new happening here. I know these people. I know who it is that I'm, that I'm king over. Now then, obey their voice. He tells them three times in this passage to obey the people. This is the leader of Israel. God says, obey the people. Now, we often look at this story and we, we fault the people, right? We say, how could they do that? How could they reject God as king? And that's true. But God's also dealing in Samuel's life here. He's humbling Samuel at the same time as he is dealing with the people. But he's always been dealing with the people, right? He's always been patient with his people. He brought them out of Egypt and they were grumbling from the very beginning. All right. I got to, this is uh, running out of battery. I don't know why this isn't on. Close. Maybe that maybe that'll help. Okay. <laughs> so God's humbling Samuel here, much like I think he humbled Moses at the end of Moses' ministry. Right? Moses had done a lot. He was a friend of God. He spoke face to face with God. But there at the end of his ministry, at the end of his life, he didn't get to go in. There were still some ways in which he didn't quite fully get God's heart for his people. And God says, this is what it takes to lead my people. You have to come to the very end of yourself.
but the people are also foolish. All right, so it's, this, is not, this is not an either-or. God's addressing Samuel as, a, as his leader, but he's also, he also addresses the, the people's folly. Um, addressing a, uh, installing a king in itself was not the worst part here. Uh, and if you turn quickly to, to Deuteronomy 17. This is in the, in the Deuteronomic law. And it gives stipulations. This is in a section of, of Deuteronomy where it's talking about the various types of leaders of the people of Israel. It talks about the priesthood. It talks about prophets. It talks about kings. And it also talks about local judges. Um, and it gives stipulations. All right, here, here's, how you, here's how you are to exercise this office of leadership. But when it talks about kings, it says this in, in 17, chapter 17, verse 14. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you and possess it, and dwell in it, and, say, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. So God kind of knew what was going to happen. You may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you, only you must not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself, or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again, and he shall not acquire many wives for himself. Now, if you know about the life of Samuel, where we're headed, you know that he was one who failed miserably at that. Um, Lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. All right, so some prohibitions for king. And now some, some stipulations, some further stipulations. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. His heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Now, this is a major piece of, of backdrop for now the story of Saul and what happens to Saul. Okay, Because almost every, almost every little phrase here in Deuteronomy applies to, to the way the story gets told here in 1 Samuel. Um. Notice that kings were allowed, right? but they were optional, right? It wasn't inevitable, like, when you go to the land, you must make a king. And it wasn't prohibited. Don't make a king. It just said, if Israel says this, you may do it. Um, the only thing was their power was to be kept in check, right? They weren't to, to use their power and the position of authority to, to gain themselves wealth, and gold, and horses, and wives. And that the most important trait of a king, or I should say the most important traits, were, number one, obedience to the law of God, and humility, right? His heart must not be lifted up among his brothers. He's to be a king, but he's just to be one of y'all. And... He's to wield his authority not in a way that, that sets him above everyone, 
He must not be lifted up among his brothers. He should dwell among his brothers and use his authority to rule and to lead in a way that causes the people to flourish. So, obedience and humility. And these end up being Saul's two flaws. He did not obey, and he he walked in a kind of pride that wasn't pompous pride, but it was presumptuous pride. All right, and so let's read let's read a little bit of that. Uh, chapter thirteen, First Samuel thirteen. This is Saul's really his first activities, recorded activities as king. Right? You know, he, this is kind of his first military campaign um, after he's beginning to exercise his authority. Um, Samuel says, "Wait on God. Don't don't do the wait till I get there to offer uh, the offering, to offer the sacrifice." Uh, But he says, he waited seven days, verse 8, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, this is classic. This is, every kid knows this feeling. Like, as soon as you finish doing the thing your parents told you not to do, in they walk, right? That very second, it's, it's uncanny. And uh, Saul went out to meet him and greet him. <laughs> this is also a sign of when your kids know that they've done something wrong, is when they get real friendly. <laughs> Somebody over here knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Hey, Samuel. Oh, I thought you were, I thought you were uh, kind of a little late. Uh, how's it going? How, how was the trip? Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, now... Saul, I think, has maybe four or five excuses lined up, ready to go. (laughs) When I saw that the people were scattering for me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, well, now the Philistines are going to come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. maybe Maybe that fits together, but it just seems like a bunch of... A bunch of random facts strung together. Well, I was, I was thinking about this, and I didn't know. Well, I had to do it. And Samuel said to Saul, in, in brilliant brevity, right, after Samuel's verbose outpouring of reasoning, you have done foolishly, period. <laughs> you have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. And I love this. You know, obedience is pretty simple. Obedience is either or. Obedience is you did it or you didn't. And Saul's problem is that it's not black and white for him. It's malleable. But this is exactly what God had said all the way back in Deuteronomy. A king can't treat the word of God as if it's malleable, as if it's just a suggestion. In fact, make him write his own Bible and read it every day and get it approved by the priests 
so that he doesn't turn to the left or the right, and that he obeys the word of God. Because as soon as someone with authority stops submitting to the word of God, everybody needs to watch out. As soon as someone in authority, any authority, we all have a measure of authority. Everybody in here has some measure of authority over something or someone, even if it's just your own, your, your own life, your thoughts, right? As soon as someone in authority stops submitting themselves to the will of God in total obedience, everybody around them needs to watch out. You have not kept the command of the Lord, which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom of Israel forever. That's what he said in Deuteronomy. If he obeys, it'll go well with him, and his, it will become a hereditary monarchy. His children after him will rule. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Somebody who really wants to obey. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Chapter 15. So chapters 13 and 15 are Saul's two big blunders. Chapter 15. It's a similar thing. Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Therefore now listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts. All right, my new king. Now, here's something that's been bothering me ever since we got out of Egypt. It's Amalek. They're a constant bother to the people of God. And I've been watching them the whole time, and they've been giving us a hard time. Now, you as the king, go and wipe them out. There's nothing good about them. There's nothing worth saving. Go and wipe them out. Go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim. Um, he goes down, verse 9, or verse 8. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen, and of the fattened calves, and of the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king. Again, for he has turned back from following me, and has not performed my commandments. Samuel was angry, and cried to the Lord all night. Verse 17. He, he goes to, to uh, well, verse 13. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Saul's always trying to get ahead of the rebuke. He's always trying to soften the blow. To control, he's, he's doing, he's like a PR guy. He wants to get ahead of the message, right? Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding 
of the oxen of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear. If you had killed every living thing, I wouldn't hear those sheep and cows that I hear right now. Saul said, Ah, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. The rest we have devoted to destruction. Here he goes again. On his justification sprees, right? Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop! <laughs> Shut up! That's what he says. Don't say that unless you're Samuel. Okay. Kids. That was the S word in my house growing up. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, speak. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes. I don't know if he's being sarcastic there or not. Saul was, he did say at first, hey, I'm of the least of the tribes of Benjamin. uh, Or the least of the clans of Benjamin. But a few chapters before, um, he had just made a monument to himself. Which is interesting. Anyway, though you are little in your own eyes... Are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Who do you think you are? What do you think the king is going to... You're blaming it on the people. Who am I going to come rebuke if not you? Right? You're going to go rebuke the people? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote the destruction of the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord. Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? According to, very clearly, God's stipulations for kings. Obey God and don't take stuff for yourself. Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. So now he's shifting into, well, what do you mean by obey? What do you think God really meant when he said that? Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted to the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the, the spoil and the sheep and the oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, and this is really the final word on, on Saul, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the Lord? He says, Saul, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Saul, and like the rest of us, has some things that, hey, I don't think God would think this is that bad. In fact, I could probably use this thing to to witness to people. I can use my, I don't know, I'm going to get in trouble here with, with actual examples. <laughs> God's saying, is that, is that your, is that, is that why you did it? Is that why you kept them alive? You thought you'd give God a present, which is doubtful anyway. But even if that was the reason, you think God takes joy in 
what you decide to, that he might like? You know what he likes, and it's when people obey what he says. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen. Hear, O Israel, listen. Then the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. And this word, I think, is crucial to Saul. Presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul's problem was presumption. He was not what we would think of as a typical rebel, right? Kind of the bad boy. No. Saul was actually kind of a softy in some ways. Wanted to do well. Wanted people to like him. Wanted Samuel to approve of him. Usually we think of a rebel as someone who doesn't care what anyone thinks. Saul deeply cared what everyone thought. But he also thought he knew the right thing, even when it contradicted what the word of God clearly was. His actions indicate a self-reliance and a lack of the fear of God. And this was simply not going to work for a king of Israel. You cannot wield authority when you don't know your own frailty before God. Even if you're the king. Said way back in Deuteronomy. Your heart can never be lifted up above your brothers. And you have to fear God and prove your fear to him by obeying his word. You fear him by obeying his word. You don't fear him by making grand gestures toward him. You fear him by obeying what he actually said as closely and as carefully as you possibly can. You don't fear God by making all sorts of excuses about why you did what you did and how it's actually probably even better than the way God told me to do it. God doesn't need that. God doesn't need that in his king. He needs a king who's going to write down the word, read it every day, get it approved by the priests, and walk it out with absolute diligence. So, that's, that's Saul's ark. I mean, he, he gets anointed. Chapter 12. No, not chapter Chapter 9. He's filled with the Spirit. He becomes a new man. He's, he's genuinely anointed. But he never comes to the end of himself. He had a problem. And the problem was that he was head and shoulders above everybody else. The problem was that he, on the outside, was the guy. But on the inside, he was not submitted totally to the heart of God. And that's why God rejects him and says, I, have, I need to go find someone who's after my heart. Saul was after something. It wasn't the heart of God. So God says, I can't work like this. I cannot work with a king like this. We're going to need to bring someone else in. And that's when David comes on the scene. 
And he's the man after God's heart. Not the man after God's approval. You got to hear, hear that. He's not the man after God's approval. He's the man after God's heart. Which means he wants to obey. And he wants to do it exactly the way God says. Regardless of what it might seem like to him. All right, so we've cut, that's a lot of ground to cover. That's chapter 2 to uh, 15 is where we are. We'll pick up next week with David. So if you can kind of keep track, we've got three weeks in the book of 1 Samuel. Last week was really about Samuel. This week is about Saul. Next week will be about David, um, broadly, if you're keeping the outline in your head. Uh, but some thoughts before we close. Um one thing that, that stands out to me that I think some of us could hear is that God's work is never finished. You know, Samuel experienced great victory, great power, um, but he still had issues that God had to get at in his life. He still had ways that God was working in him to humble him, okay? So God's work is never finished. Even in his appointed authorities, even in the ones that are to be the example um, and even in the, on to, into the mature years, okay, God still has ways that he is humbling all of us. He did it with Moses. He does it with Samuel. He does it with all of us, right? There's always something God has his finger on in our lives that we need to hear him and humble ourselves and let him, to, let him do his work of opposing the pride that's left in us and lifting up the humility that's in us. Um, and so that, that's sort of an application of the way that he deals with Samuel. When all the people turn on him and when they ask him for a king, God says, you know, the people are going to be the people. They're going to do what they're going to do. They've been doing it the whole time. But you, Samuel, you need to do the right thing. And actually, the way you're going to need to go out is you're going to need to obey the voice of the people. I mean, that's, you know, in New Testament terms, that's a cross that... God gave Samuel to bear. You're going to need to obey the voice of the people. And just trust that I know what I'm doing. And Samuel goes, what? what is all this? We just, we revolutionized the priesthood and we got all this going and, and you know, Eli's gone and now here I am and I want my boys to do the same thing. And, and God says, you know, obey the voice of the people. We're going in a different direction. You know, those dreaded words from a corporate boss. We're... we're, we're <laughs> It's not a, not a good fit anymore. <laughs> We're headed in a different direction. And Samuel had to live with that. And he had to live with Saul. And he does find grace. You know, later he, he, he gets together a renewal for the kingdom. And he really does, although not without a few words of warning about the king, uh, he really does uh, submit to the move of God as, as God transfers his authority to, to Saul. And he has to witness Saul's downfall. This is the guy you replaced me with? Right? What in the world? No wonder he cried all night. But God was working in Samuel's life uh, to continue to bring him to the end of himself, even after his glory years. Another thing that stood out to me was that the people, the people's problem has been the same, right? God says, from, from Egypt on, they've been doing the same thing, all right? 
And it's been, they don't trust me, they don't obey me. All right? And they keep finding solutions. One solution is, go get the ark, and we'll do it. Another solution is, uh, let's change the authority structure. And they keep focusing on the externals. And God says, you know, the answer is very clear, and it's been there all along. Your hearts are, have gone astray from me. Your hearts don't want to obey me. Change all the external structures you want. You want a king? Let's go with it. If I need to, if I need to change the whole thing because you want a king, we're going to go for it. So that you can see that, hey, the problem wasn't the authority structure. The problem was your own heart. External solutions just are not the answer. And humans, thousands of years into the past, and predictably, if the Lord tarries, thousands of years in the future, will be constantly looking for an external solution to a problem of the heart. And we do it all the time. And it's not just in these big ways of like, hey, let's change the whole authority structure. It, it happens in little ways to us. Little adjustments we want to make just because we don't want to give up this thing in our heart. We don't want to give up and trust God. Well, I need a, I need a different... Uh, yeah, I need to switch home groups. You know, it's just not, it's not working for me here. Uh, maybe I need to hang out with this dif- different person. Maybe I need to change the... Maybe I need to adjust the settings on my devotional life and see if I can pull these levers. And, and a lot of times it's just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. The problem is God's right there. He's, he's calling you to do something. He's calling you to humble yourself. And you just don't want to trust him. You don't want to obey him. So we, keep ex- <laughs> we often insist on external solutions. Bring the ark. Bring a king. And it's never going to be the solution. And the solution is only ever God coming and working victory for us. And that's the only thing that brings salvation. And then finally, I I alluded to this a little bit, just the whole idea of God's stipulation for kings. I mean, that is deeply insightful. Um, A king needs to not use his authority to gain wealth for himself and he needs to continue to fear God and his heart can't be lifted up over his brothers. I love that. Deuteronomy 17 to me is, is great. It's, it's pretty simple and it makes a lot of sense. But we're going to see, and this, should, this is a backdrop for the rest of the story, we're going to see kings come and time and time again they break one, two, three, or all of the stipulations that God set for kings in Deuteronomy. God in his wisdom set very clear standards. And man, with given power, given authority, simply cannot reach those standards. I mean, it, it, it is uncanny. And all of that, I think, sets the stage for then the coming of Jesus the king. Right? Even David, by the end of 2 Samuel, he's, he's on the downward trajectory. Right? God has to humble him at the end of his life. Um, and so even David, who's kind of the, the type of the Messiah, the picture of, of Christ who is to come, even David doesn't quite get there. And so it just primes the pump for the coming of Jesus, who is someone who, with his authority, he did all those things. He didn't, uh, he didn't turn to the right hand or to the left from the word of God. He said, 
I only do what I see my father doing. Right? He was that king. That the law was so close to him, he, breathed, he lived it, he breathed it. Right? At every turn, Jesus was living in the word of God and responding to life out of the word and taking up his authority and never lifted up his head among his brothers. Right? He said, I'm not ashamed to call you my friends. All right? So just this picture of what God is looking for in a king, the failure of these human kings to get there, but then the, the, the relief <laughs> that Jesus brings in the way that he operated as our king. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this, these stories. Thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, continue to use these stories in our lives in the way that you need to. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, reveal where you may be humbling us, Lord. Uh, where you may be continuing to work in an area that we haven't quite uh, come to the end of ourselves in, Lord. May we yield to that work and not be too proud and not be too, uh, to, too presumptuous to allow you to bring us again to the cross, Lord, and ask us to obey you and lay down our lives. Lord, help us to not rely on external uh, solutions or what we think are external solutions. Um, when the problem is just, it's our heart, Lord. Our defeat is coming because we don't go to battle with you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would uh, teach us how to not wage war according to the flesh. Not to wrestle against flesh and blood, as we've been talking about, Lord, uh, for the past couple weeks. And not to get our secret weapon, uh, or not to... to, to Yield to, to, to wield your presence as a, as, a, as a weapon, Lord, and submit you to our own uh, form of, of warfare. But help us to, to wait on you, to ask you to come, and to, and to see you, Lord, win the victories in our lives. Lord, deliver us from our own solutions. Help us to embrace yours. And Lord, help us to uh, live in the fear of you, proving, Lord, proving our fear of you by the way that we obey. Lord, that we would not just call you our Lord with our lips and then deny that fact by the way that we live. Lord, that we would not be presumptuous, thinking we know how to best manipulate your commands to where they seem to be more palatable for us. Lord, deliver us from those sins and uh, lead us into the life of of Jesus, our King, uh, the one who lays down his life and uses his authority to cause the people around him to flourish and to uh, who lifts up the needy from the dust heap, Lord. Bring us into his kingdom and let us participate in his rulership. And uh, Lord, may his name be exalted among us uh, for every generation. In Jesus' name, amen.